Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we can be together in an online format. For the name of Jesus, for the sake of your call, for the sake of your cause, uh, where your people gather, uh, you are dwelling in the midst. And so we thank you that as we sing, as the word of God says throughout Psalms and as it says in Hebrews, that where your congregation sings, that Jesus, you're there in the midst of them. So we thank you that you're here with us. We thank you that as we gather as your people, uh, six days out of the week, we're told to live our lives a certain way, but we gather again on Sunday and we're redirected by the gospel to break down our faulty foundations and to rebuild our life upon the foundation of Christ, his gospel, his love, which alone is a firm foundation. Thank you that you remind us that the things of this life will fade and will never be able to satisfy nor sustain us in the midst of the challenges of life. Thank you that your gospel does and that we can be reminded of it this morning. We thank you that that gospel compels us that what happened in not only in the last weekend of Jesus' life, but your uh, 33 years of life and your active obedience, and then in your surrender at Calvary, in the resurrection, because of those events, all of our lives have been changed. We've been changed, our past, our future, and our present. You've given us a reason to live, to not only hold and hoard this gospel for ourselves, but to bring that uh, to those around us who need it, near as well as far. Uh, thank you for our people who are going out and doing such a work, not only through um, the way we get to do that in our vocations, the way we do that in our homes, the way we do that in our neighborhoods, equipping Christ-centered leaders to transform the world. Thank you for those who have uh, left behind things that they once held dear in order to follow the call of Christ into the nations, into uh, different areas of call. We thank you for those serving you in college campuses, serving you in missions agencies to mobilize your people for the work of, of ministry. Thank you for those who are in, in places in, in Asia and throughout the nations, places like China and North Korea and Japan and, and uh, ministering amongst the distressed populations uh, in, in different nations. Thank you for the ministry you're doing in places like Jordan and places like uh, Turkey, places like Spain and in uh, Cameroon, in, in places like Vietnam and, and Taiwan. We thank you for the people that you've got in those places. Thank you for your workers uh, in Thailand, in Myanmar, in Kyrgyzstan and throughout the the, the, the lands. Thank you for the work you're doing in uh, Ecuador, Nicaragua, other places where our friends are serving you. We ask your blessing over them. Uh, many of these places uh, struggling and going through really difficult times, not only in spiritual darkness, not only in persecution, but heightened because of uh, the inaccessibility to different necessities that's causing uh, an outbreak uh, that's been caused by this pandemic and the coronavirus outbreak. We pray that your grace would be so tangible and practical and powerful and that you would use us to creatively think of ways that as we hear the needs of our friends that we can be involved in meeting those so that your kingdom would go forth we thank you uh, for your church we thank you for us being able to gather in this way we pray for your continued wisdom as we navigate a path forward uh, though our methods may change though our models may change 
Lord, our mission doesn't. May we be reminded of that this morning. Pray that you would be with me, my gracious master and my God. Assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of your name. Would you give us ears to hear and may your word fall on good soil in order that there would be fruit as a result of this time of worship. We thank you. We love you. We need you. We look to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, are now in probably about um, month two or three of this quarantine season, I'm sure there's a lot of things that you have been looking for either at the grocery store or looking for even in your own life that you have found to be difficult to come by. Uh, At first it was sanitizer and toilet paper, uh, but now maybe it's something different. Can we take a moment just to to share um, what are some of the things that you've been looking for during this season of Uh, quarantine that you found to be elusive. You found it to be difficult uh, to come by. Can you take about 45 seconds to uh, write that on your computer, type that in on your phone, uh, in the chat box there, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube, can we take about 40 seconds to go ahead and write that as we break ice together and bring our hearts uh, into unison? For me, I think it's uh, pretty clear. There's a couple things, a uh, couple things that are tangible and some, some things that are un- intangible that uh, I've been having a, a really difficult time trying to uh, procure during this season. Uh, for many parents, I think for many parents, and, and definitely for me, and definitely for Olivia, one of the things I've been searching for that's been hard to come by is peace. <laughs> and quiet in our home. That's one of the things. But the other thing is a little bit more tangible and something that uh, we've been looking for at the store. But um, I've been looking for a Nintendo Switch. This has been, um, this has been Elijah's desire since January. So uh, we're not much of a gaming family, but in January, Elijah and I went to visit uh, his cousin, Barnabas, in California. And after spending some time with Barnabas, Elijah came back and he's like, Dad, can we get a Nintendo Switch? I really want a Nintendo Switch. And so uh, I told him he could start saving up for one. And so he's been saving up and he's got this thing called the Switch Fund, which has uh, money in it. Every now and then, if he massages me well, I'll give him a dollar to put in there. He does some chores. If if he's nice to his sisters, um, he'll put some money in the Switch Fund. If a birthday or something like that comes, then he'll get money and put in the Switch Fund. Saturday morning, Okay, Saturday morning, I woke up and I spent some time in the Word, and then I do what I usually do. I was checking some emails, and then I decided to look and see uh, Google Nintendo Switch and always go there and hit the Buy Now button, and, and every day it says it's sold out. But on Saturday morning, it said that Target in Winter Garden has the Switch in stock. I was so excited. So I said, Elijah, get your mask. Hurry up. Jump in the car. He's like, where are we going, Dad? I said, we're going to go get our Nintendo Switch, to, your Nintendo Switch today. Really excited. So he got his, uh, got his mask on, and we jumped in the car, and we're driving. Just so happened that a memo went out to every slow driver in Orange County Saturday morning to meet on the road at 9 o'clock right where we're on the road. We were stuck behind the slowest cars in North America, it seemed, and every light that we came to was turning red, and we're like, oh, my goodness, we're never going to get there. 
We finally get to Target. I park. I say, Elijah, let's go. Put your mask on. Run in. So we run in. I love Target. Uh, I don't know if you're one of those people who love Target. In some small towns, uh, they love Walmart. When Awana Vision Camp comes from Korea, they hit up all of the great things to do in Orlando. There's SeaWorld, there's Disney, there's Universal, there's Legoland, and there's Walmart. That's one of the outings that they go to. I'm a Target person, uh, quite frankly, and so I love going to Target. I love looking at what's on sale. I love, you know, looking at the baseball cards there. Um, But this day, Saturday morning, there was nothing that I wanted to do more then just make a beeline to the electronic section. And so we were walking, and Elijah's talking. I was like, Elijah, don't talk. It's going to slow you down. Just keep walking. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if I saw somebody who I knew, uh, I would completely ignore them and just go. So we went, and we got to the electronic section, the display case. We were there like last week looking for it, and it was completely barren. But this time, the bottom shelf had switched lights. <laughs> Elijah's like, I don't want to switch light. I want a Nintendo Switch. But that shelf was empty. We're like, darn it, we came just a little bit too late. Right then, a Target worker walked by. I was like, hey, man, do you guys have any of the Nintendo Switches? He's like, yeah, at the front, we've got one left. But there's another person in line, and I'm not sure if she wants it. So you should hurry up and get in line before someone else gets there. So I was like, Elijah, come on. And we ran into the line, and sure enough, there was a lady in front there. And as she was waiting in front of us, she said, excuse me, to the person behind the counter, do you have a Nintendo Switch? (laughs) And I was like, no, they don't have it. You can leave. They don't have a Nintendo Switch. And he's like, yeah, we've actually got one left. Okay, we got one left. And he held it up. And then he said to me, he's like, I'm sorry, sir. She took the last one. I was like, oh, my goodness. I was devastated. I felt so sad. Uh, obviously not for myself, but I felt really bad for Elijah. I was like, Elijah, hey, man, I'm so sorry. They don't, they don't have it. And I said, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. I don't have enough money in my switch fund anyway. I need to save up more money, and then we can get one later. So I was like, yeah, you know, that's cool. And so we're walking. It was a really sad walk back to the car. I'm holding his hand, and he's doing a lot better than I am. I'm just really bummed. Um, but we get back home eating breakfast. I'm still bummed. We're eating donuts, and Elijah wants to drink milk, and I was like, oh, we don't have any milk, and I'm upset about everything, and Elijah's like, hey, Dad. I was like, yeah, and he said, oh, when we were at Target, we should have bought milk, (laughs) and I said, no, we shouldn't have. No, no, that's not why we went to Target. We went to Target for one reason. We went for one reason, and one reason only. We were on a mission, and we could not accomplish that mission, and I was really bummed about it. But to me, it wasn't about milk, and it wasn't about cookies, and it wasn't about anything else. The singular reason why we were there was to get a Nintendo Switch. About three, four, five weeks after Jesus rose again from the dead on that first Easter Sunday, he gave a clear and Uh, just absolutely convincing statement as to the mission of the church. What is the one thing, the one reason the church exists? We're going to look at that in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. This is a statement called the Great Commission. It's the last recorded words of Jesus 
in the Gospels, and here Jesus lays out clearly his final words for his disciples. One of the great things, the great ways that Easter changes our lives is that it gives us a laser-focused reason for being, not only as a church, but as the people of God. And today I want to remind those of us who know, but who have allowed cobwebs to grow in our minds as to what the mission of God is, and for those who may not know, who may not have heard, to hear what this greatest commission that Jesus could ever give to his people uh, really is. We're going to read Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. This is God's word. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is God's word. Last week, as we looked at this passage, we looked at the people to whom Jesus was speaking, the people who received this great commission. We saw that it was his 11 remaining disciples. We overhear that it's for us as well. But what exactly is the commission? To what is it that God is sending us forth? What is he trying to say to us? Three thoughts this morning. First one, very simply, Jesus could not be more clear. Jesus leaves no doubt as to the mission of the church. Jesus leaves no doubt as to what the church's mission is supposed to be. He gathers his 11 disciples to him at Galilee. Now, there are some people who are speculating because in 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul says that Jesus appeared to Peter, to James, to John, to the disciples, all these people. And then he says he appeared to 500 of the brothers of the disciples at one time. There are some scholars who believe that this is that time in Galilee, where many people could gather. It's outside of Jerusalem, where people are, are, are wanting to kill these Christians. But in Galilee, which is the furthest point north of Palestine, it's a countryside, a lot of land around this mountain. There could easily be many people who have gathered. And there's speculation that Jesus is speaking not only to the 11, but speaking to 500 other disciples at this point in time. Whatever Whatever way you interpret this, whether it's 11, whether it's 500, whether it's more, whether it's less, or somewhere in between, one thing is clear. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, people who would follow him, people who bear the name of Christ. And so what we see here is that Jesus is speaking not only to 11 in a certain period of time, but this timeless message is incredibly timely for us because it comes down through the centuries and it lands in our hearing. Jesus is speaking these words to us as if we were there with him. This is how seriously um, the gospel writers and then the New Testament takes this call of Jesus. As he speaks to his disciples, only three times in the rest of the Old Testament does the word Christian come out in the New Testament. 281 times the language of disciple comes out. 
In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what the New Testament is saying. If you bear the name of Christ, if you are a Christian, you are by definition then a disciple of Jesus. Breaking all that down, again, here's what Jesus is saying, and here's what I'm trying to say and communicate through his words. The words that Jesus speaks to his 11 or to the 500 here are the words that he's speaking to you and to me as long as we call ourselves a Christian. And Jesus could not be more forceful or clear as to what he's calling us to do and what that mission is. Why do we need to heed these words, though, more than the rest of the words spoken in the 28 chapters? Well, as we see here, Jesus saying all of this is important, but the reason this is of particular importance is because you know the importance of a person's final words, the words of a senior as they graduate high school and move on, whether it be at their graduation or it be as they hug their parents goodbye and go off to campus, the last words that parents say to uh, their graduating child or the graduates to a youth ministry at the senior banquet, those words matter and people listen a little bit more intently. I remember before we had any children, Olivia and I uh, were preparing for the birth of our first child, Manny, and so we went to um, the Winter Garden Police Station because they're having this event where if you need help installing a car seat and doing it in a way that is safe and proper, the police department would help you. And so we went, and we met a man named Officer Merch. And so Officer Merch comes, and he's installing our car seat. He's like, yeah, I do this. You got to do this with a seat belt. There's two ways to do it, through the seat belt or with a latch system and all these things he's explaining to us. And at the end, being first-time parents, I was so happy because nothing matters more than the safety and well-being of my kids. And so as he assembled it and he put it in, he's like, I think you're good to go. I said, thank you so much, Officer Merch. And he's like, as he, uh, the last thing he said before uh, he left was, he said, you got to drive safe. Drive slowly because you've got precious cargo in here. I said, thank you, Officer. I said, Officer Merch was my hero. I said, thank you, Officer Merch. And he said, my pleasure. He must have worked at Chick-fil-A at some point in his life. But he said, my pleasure. And then he walked away. And as he was walking away, I was saying to Oliver, like, that Officer Merch is a really good guy. But as he's walking away, he turns around, and he did like this quick pirouette. It was like so elegant and graceful. And then he said, and then he said one more thing. He said, it's better to lose a minute of your life than to lose your life in a minute. <laughs> I was like, oh, Officer Merch dropping some wisdom on us. And then as quickly as he said it, he turned and he left. I remember not much of what Officer Merch said during that 30-minute safety presentation, but I remember what he said at the end. Because the final words that a person says to us have a particular level of meaning and significance. And so here with Jesus, final words recorded in the Gospels. He says, I want you to be clear. I don't want there to be ambiguity as I leave about what you're supposed to be doing. Here's the clarion call for you as a church. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We've talked about this often, and you may have heard this before, but in this great commission, there is one command that Jesus gives, 
And there are three participle verbs that explain how that is to be done. Jesus is saying, let me be undoubtedly, unmistakably clear that this is what you ought to be doing as disciples. This is what you ought to be doing as a church. This is your mission. And the reason why after I rose from the dead, I didn't sweep you up into heaven. Here's your mission. Your mission is to make disciples of all nations. That's your reason for being on the planet. If it was about fellowship, hey, I'd have taken you up into heaven. You could have perfect fellowship there. If it was just about worship, I'd have taken you up into heaven. You could have perfect worship there. If it was about serving one another, I'd have taken you up. You could do that without any sin in your life. But the one thing you cannot do in heaven that you've been called to do on earth is to go into the world to make disciples of all nations. He's saying, church, this is why you exist. Everything around this, going, baptizing them into the church, teaching them obedience to the word of God, all of those things are the way that we make disciples. But those three things are only good to the degree that they're part of this mission of making disciples of the nations. In other words, he's saying, you can go all you want, but it's not the kind of going that I want unless it's a going in order to be part of a big picture of making disciples of the nations. You can baptize all you want, but don't let yourself think that's the end game. The end game is making disciples of nations. You could teach people to obey everything that I've told them to do, but if it's not causing at the end result to be a making of disciples of nations, then it's all null and void. Jesus is reminding us, and and it's easy for us in a season of quarantine to suspend the mission of the church, but Jesus is saying, don't let yourself be fooled into that. The methods will change during quarantine, but the mission never changes. The reason for our being never changes. It didn't change before the quarantine. It's not going to change after, and it doesn't change while we're in the midst of a pandemic situation. Jesus is saying, don't be mistaken about this. The one reason for your existence as a church, Harvest, the reason you exist is that you would make disciples of nations. What Jesus is doing is he is laying a death blow to anyone who feels like, okay, I'm going to be a Christian, but I'm just going to be a sit-back jack in the back row of the church and not do anything. He's saying, no, 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 no. This destroys the notion of a passive Christianity. He says you cannot be a passive Christian. If you you go into work or you go into school and you've got... Um, some dude who's just sitting there uh, while everyone else is working and they've just got their hands behind their head, leaning back on their lounge chair and they've got their feet propped up and you're like, how come, hey, what are you doing? And they say, I'm not doing anything, I'm just chilling. Then the reason you would be given for why they're doing that is either I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing or I know what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm just not doing it. Either I don't know or I know and I don't embrace the commission that I've been given to go and do what I'm supposed to be doing. Jesus makes it absolutely clear, without a doubt, the mission of the church. Not just the church as a whole, not just harvest as a whole, but the disciples who make up the church. This is our reason for living. 
Make disciples by going baptizing and teaching them obedience to the call of Christ. The first thing that we see here is that Jesus leaves no doubt as to the mission of the church. The second thing that we see here is that your role in the mission starts right here and right now. Jesus, when do we start? Okay, we understand what we're supposed to be doing, but when do we start? One of Olivia's favorite TV shows, one of Manny and Elisa's favorite TV shows now because they just want to do everything mommy wants to do, favorite shows is Top Chef. It's a cooking show, and it's a really fun show. It's high energy. It's intense. And in the show, they're given a bunch of cooking challenges. You need to do this kind of a meal with this kind of ingredients, and you have one hour to do it. And the hostess, Padma, always says, after giving the instructions, giving the mission, she says, you have one hour to do this. Your timer starts now. (laughs) And then everyone starts running around grabbing stuff and getting their food in order to accomplish the mission. Jesus is saying here, when does, your mi- when does your mission start? Well, if you read what it says, literally, and again, this is in, in a participle form, and so you don't see it. In English, it sounds like Jesus says, therefore, go as a command, but he's not saying that. Literally what Jesus says in verse, uh, in verse 18 here, he says uh, in verse 19, therefore, he says, as you are going, make disciples of the nations. In other words, if the disciples were, asking, were, were to ask him, okay, Jesus, our mission is to make disciples of all nations. How, where, when, all those things Jesus answers. Here's the when. As you're going, literally as you go down from this mountain, from this point forward, wherever you go, as you're going, Along the way, make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching people along the way to do everything I've commanded them to do. What does that look like? Well, you see this lived out in the disciples, right? As they're going, they start telling people about Jesus in order that they might be baptized, brought into the church. And then what happens they're, they're doing just a fine and dandy job in Jerusalem, but then persecution breaks out. You remember Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right, in the hotbed of the, of the religious and political antagonism towards you. Right there, you'll, be, you'll start there, and then persecution is going to spread you out to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What do they do? As they're running as they're going, as they're scattering, they're just grabbing people along, telling them about Jesus, telling them about Jesus, baptizing them, throwing them into the church so that they might live in obedience to Christ. Jesus is saying, when do you start? <laughs> you start the mission, the, com- the moment the commission has been heard by your ears. In other words, we start. We've already started. And if this is the first time hearing, you start now. As you are going, 
going to places where people don't know Jesus, going into college campuses, going into your workplace, just whatever, wherever God has called you to be right now, that's where you go. You don't just work so that you make money. You work to live out the Great Commission. You don't just go to school so that you can get into college, so that you can work, so that you can make money. You're there in order to fulfill the Great Commission. As you're going, live as a person on a mission for the glory of God. As you get into your youth ministry, you're making disciples. As you go into your house churches, you're making disciples wherever it is that you go. See, Jesus gives the big picture, and he makes it crystal clear. Here's your mission. Go uh, make disciples, rather, make disciples. But how do you do that? It's like a baseball game. If you're running around a baseball diamond, he's saying, here's first base. You go. Okay, go. Go to where people are. Go to where, do what you're doing and live a life that is winsome as a disciple. The prerequisite for making a disciple is that you are a disciple. You're living out the commands of Jesus. You're learning to obey everything he's commanded you. And as you're going with that lifestyle, you get to first base. See, a lot of people make it, maybe make it more complicated than it is. I, we have a, a brother now, uh, actually some of us were, were talking with him and he was talking with some of us this week and he said, you know what, I just don't know how, what to do. Like how do I live for God? How do I make disciples? And yet what he didn't know was that he's already standing at first base because in the office where he works in finance, He's telling people about Jesus. He's inviting them to church. He's telling them that he's praying for them. He's telling him and his wife to come to, to, to church and to worship with us. He's got friends who are overseas, and he's telling them, hey, I'm praying for you. I think you need Jesus. I think you need to go to church. we got people who are praying for you. He's going to people who need the gospel. Olivia has this friend that she's been praying about for, for many, many months. And this week, she invited her over to just stand outside with her six feet away and to engage with her. And Olivia is going to people and going to places. And she said, maybe we can take walks together around the neighborhood so that uh, I can tell her about the hope of Christ. Wherever it is that you are, even during this season, you are going, you can be going with wherever God has called you to be as you live out the disciple life. That's first base. Because the command of God is clear. As you're going, God will continue to lead you to other places. And if that means he opens doors for you to go to nations, then we walk through those doors. You see, the mission of God has been clear. The commission has been given. The burden of proof then ought not be on why should I go to that mission trip? Why should I go to a foreign country? Why should I tell them about Jesus? I should pray about it until I get a quiver in my liver. Then I'll do something about it. No, no, no. Jesus is saying it's already been given to you. Hear this as if I'm speaking to you in the 21st century disciple of Christ. I'm speaking to you. Here's your mission. Make disciples of all nations and go. And so when the opportunity arises, the default ought to be, I'm going to go unless God says I can't go this summer, this year, this fall. I think so many times we sit around and we wait for a calling to go when it's clearly already been given to us. I, I, I love one of our guys, our, our Fukuoka House Church shepherd, Chris, Chris Lee. He's, every year he turns in an application, even though I know he's going to go, but still he turns it in. And he says, you know what, as long as God doesn't tell me to go, um, why wouldn't I go? Like, why wouldn't I go? I'm going to go until God stops me 
from going. So I think a lot of times, guys, we've outsourced the going part to our young, single, capable people. We outsource that to, oh, our, our high schoolers can go. We've outsourced that to the full-time missionaries. But Jesus has made it clear that the mission of your life as a Christian and of the church is to make disciples of all nations. How are we being involved in that to go, well, I'm sending, I'm writing a check, I'm going online every month, I'm giving $500. Remember, remember that if we're not willing to go, then our heart is not qualified to send. The senders are only senders in name only unless you have a heart that's willing to go. We have this couple in our church, Nathan Mullins and his wife, Sue. Some of you guys know, obviously. But everywhere they go, they live on this little plot of land that's been given um, to postal workers, retired postal workers or current postal workers, and they live on that plot of land, and they bought it, and everyone on that area knows Jesus about Jesus because they can't stop talking about him. Just bringing food to people. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. As Sue's going through cancer treatments, it's like Jesus is keeping me alive. He's going to be my healer. He's going to be my strength through all of this. And then they, they, a couple years back, bought this like big old RV. And they're saying, hey, you know what? As soon as we retire, here's what we want to do. We want to travel the world or America. And at first, I was like, you know, that's kind of cool. But then they're like, wherever we stop at trailer parks, at RV parking lots, we're going to cook food for people, and we're just going to start church wherever we are. We're just going to tell people about Jesus wherever we are. Because they're committed wherever we go. We're just going to tell people about Jesus. We're going to go because we want to see people come to know Jesus. Your role in the mission begins right here and right now, wherever you are. Jesus says, as you're going, okay, I'm going to assume that you're going, going down from this mountain. As you go, here's your call, make disciples. Second thing that we see. Third thing that we see, last thing that we see, is your obedience to the mission is a gift that keeps on giving. You're obe- so when you obey the Great Commission and you obey and you say, I'm all into that, I'm, I'm, I'm sold out to that, I'm going in, that's a gift that keeps on giving. Do you understand that to the disciples where we are now was the ends of the earth? In fact, they didn't even know about us now. But as they went and as other people went and as other people went, as other people, 2,000 years later because somebody went, We have the gifts that we have. And generations future and nations yet to bow the knee to Jesus are waiting for our obedience to the call of God. See, first base is, hey, let's go. Second base, then he says, as you're going, make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is saying Here, you want to get to second base. Here's second base. You bring the gospel to them in order that they might be baptized into the church so that they might profess their faith, saying, I've decided to follow Jesus, turning their back on the world in order to follow Christ, in order to identify with a people despised by this world. 
That's what it means to be baptized into the Trinitarian formula, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I remember um, some years ago, uh, it was even before we were in this building, there was a a fellow who admittedly was involved in gangs and drugs, and he's kind of guy, you look at him and you would, maybe you would peg him as such. He wore tall tees that went to his knees and super baggy pants and had many, many, many gold chains. Um, He didn't look like a typical person who comes into a church, whatever that might mean. But I remember as he would sit in the worship day by, he's just really passionate about whatever it was for, for drugs, for fighting, whatever it was. But somehow God was getting a hold of his heart. And I remember the day he came up to me and he's like, hey, uh, I don't even know if he knew my name. But he's like, hey, uh, I want to get baptized. I was like, all right, here's what we got to do. And then the whole time he's listening and he's got this like confused look. He's like, where are we going to do it though? Where are we going to do it? I was like, we'll we'll do it right here in our sanctuary. And he looked and he had this like look as if I just said something like completely off the wall. And he looked at all around the the building and he's like, how are we going to get a lake in this room? (laughs) I was like, oh, we don't need a lake in here. But that was his understanding of what baptism was. Baptism is saying, I've decided to follow Christ. So you get to first base, you tell people, you, you go to where people are. Second base is we have to be willing to share the gospel, right? To be able to articulate our faith in such a way that other people can receive that into their own lives so that they can be changed as well. That's why when we have testimonies from the from the congregation, we always ask them to share. Hey, can you also put in there how others who are listening could come to find the same hope that you found in Christ? What is the gospel? Can you articulate that clearly so that others might hear that as well? Well, we celebrate baptisms because that's like when a batter gets, hits the ball and gets to second base and hits a double. We celebrate that, but that's not the end. A lot of times... Churches make baptism the be-all, end-all. We've made it. We celebrate that. Now let's go and eat a great meal at that buffet, and then let's go find the next person. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You've only got the second base. What does that person need? Jesus says they need to be taught to obey everything I've commanded them. See, a lot of people say, well, here's the third step. It's teaching them. That's not what Jesus says. Teaching them is important. But more than teaching people, he says you got to teach them to obey. Because merely teaching them, them understanding it, isn't going to change their lives. They need to be taught to obey. So what does a new baptized believer need? They need to learn how to read the Bible. They need to learn how to pray. They need to learn how to worship God. They need to learn how to fellowship with other people. They need to learn how to share their faith with other people. They need to learn all of the, how, how to spend their money, how to spend their time. And when they are learning to obey, then you're moving to third base as a church with that individual, as a person with that individual, teaching them to obey. Where did... Where, what is that? How does that even happen? How did it happen with these disciples? Remember, Jesus is telling these disciples to do what they've seen. Where are they learning? Well, they're learning through the words of Jesus. They're learning through the life of Jesus. 
how do the disciples know what Jesus is telling them to do in this great commission? Because for three and a half years, they've seen it lived out as they've watched the master. Jesus says, pray. They're like, in their mind, what does it mean to pray? They look at Jesus. They say, that's what it means to pray. It means that they fight. They wake up early. It means they wrestle with God. It means we pray until blood <laughs> drips down if that's what it takes. It means we're absolutely dependent upon our Father. Be in the Word of God. What does it mean to be in the Word of God? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And they look at Jesus and they say, Jesus loved the Word of God in that way, that in times of crisis, the Word of God came out. It was in the temptation narratives. It was at the cross. Jesus constantly dropping verses of Scripture. How do people know what it means to obey everything Jesus has taught them? Because they see it in the lives of their disciples, people like you, people like me. The clearest picture of discipleship, I think the clearest picture is very clear. It's parenting. Everything a parent says, the children are learning, but more than what they teach, it's the way that the parent is living. It's so I remember when, when our youngest, our oldest, Manny, was a baby, when we would try to teach her everything that we did, teach her how to worship, lift our hands in the air. She would lift her hands and close her eyes, and we would pray. I remember one time we were praying before she, uh, we were going to bed and putting Manny to sleep, and she was making all these, like, moans and groans and being, like, real distracting. And then she was, she was when I opened my eyes to look at her, she would laugh. I will say, Manny, stop that. And then uh, I would pray again, and she would, she'd keep going, like, mmm, mmm. And I was like, Manny, stop, stop. We're praying right now. And she said, but that's, Daddy, that's how you pray. What she was saying is when other people pray, Daddy, you make that noise. You say, mm. And she's learning how to pray by watching her dad and watching her mom. Kids learn from their parents what it is to pray, how long to pray, how often to pray, how fervently to pray, how long to pray. You, parent, are discipling your children either in a way that you want or a way that you don't want, but they're learning everything, your attitude towards how you're worshiping right now. If you're in your pajamas, your hair all crazy looking, and you're distracted by all these things, your kids are learning. That's what it means to worship God. But if you said, let's come early, let's pray, let's get dressed, let's give our best to God, they're learning that. When we open back up and you bring them to church, how early do you come to church or do you come 10 minutes late? Oh, because singing is not that important. Praise is not that important. The other people are not that important. It's not that important that you distract people. They're learning from you as you disciple them because so much more is caught by your actions than is taught by your words. The same is true for all of us. Sunday school teachers, house church shepherds, those whom we've been called to serve are learning what it means to be a disciple by looking at your life. How they worship, how they pray, how they talk to God, how they treat servers when we go out to eat, how they treat others around them when we go to Starbucks after service. We're respectful, we're kind, or we're obnoxious and we're loud. That's how Christians act. That's how disciples act. We're teaching people 
all the time. In other words, the poem says, you are writing the gospel, a chapter each day. By deeds you do and words you say. Your people read what you write, whether it's faithful or true. What is discipleship according to you? What is the gospel according to you? Have you known the joy of going to someone who doesn't know the Lord, sharing your life and your faith with them in order that they come to saving knowledge of Jesus and get baptized into the church, and then they begin living a life of discipleship? Have you experienced that kind of joy? If you have, then you're standing on third base. But the way to get home, Jesus says, is when they go and they begin to replicate that cycle with other people. That's what he's saying to his disciples. This is discipleship. You follow me and then you cause others to do the same thing. There is a unspeakable joy <laughs> that comes when we live out our mission. You do this as individuals, but we also do this as a church, man. That's why house church and youth ministry is so important. So you go, and, and then maybe, maybe there's someone else who's better able to connect with that person because they come from a, a Hindu background, and so did you, and, and so you share with them, or, or because they grew up in a, in, a, in, in a broken home, and so did you, and, or so did your friend, and so you introduce them to your friend, and your friend shares the gospel with them, and we work together, and house churches sharing life and, and praying for each other, and, and one person making food, and another person uh, doing the work of talking, and another person who, who's incarnating the love of God and, and ministering hope and healing so that through that and then they, they see the way that these disciples live they're taught the way of life of Christ by seeing it in other people Jesus says don't be mistaken guys you can do a lot of good things you can have fellowship night and you can have game night and all of that is completely cool and he loves that and we love that but only to the extent that it contributes to the overall mission of the church these disciples got this. And it was so convicting a commission for them that they ran to the ends of the earth. The majority of them laying down their lives in joyful sacrifice in view of their master Jesus who has done that for them and who has done that for you and me as well. The same reality that the disciples faced, that he died, he rose again, he sends me out, is the reality for you and for me. He died, he rose again for me, and he sends us out. And when you go in obedience to the mission of God, my goodness, this is a gift that keeps on giving. One of my favorite true stories to illustrate this comes from maybe hundreds of, year, hundreds of years ago. There was a, a man named Edward Kimball. He, as his vocation, he just, he sold shoes. That's what he did. There was a young man, 18 years old, who also sold shoes at that store, cobbler shop, whatever it was. And one day, Edward Kimball told this 18-year-old man named D.L. Moody that there is a God who loves him. And with 
tears in his eyes, he shared the gospel with D.L. Moody. Moody put his trust in Jesus, and he was captivated by the fact that a man would weep over his soul. And so he got saved, and he gave his life to Christ, and he began telling other people about Jesus. And as he was preaching, and one of, I mean, so many people came to know the Lord through D.L. Moody's ministry. But one of these guys was a man named F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer got captivated by the gospel, and he, just, he would go, and, and his ministry was to college students. This cat would just go, and he would tell college students all about Jesus, preaching the gospel to people. And, and some of them became evangelists also. There's a guy named uh, R.G. Lee, gave his life to Christ and began preaching throughout different campuses as well. A guy named uh, Wilbur Chapman gave his life to Christ, and, 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 and he began preaching throughout New England. And one place where he was preaching, there was a baseball player for the Yankees named Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday heard the gospel, and he put his trust in Christ. And there he just he, he gave up his baseball career soon after, and he started telling people about Jesus as well. And it would lead him to this one church in North Carolina where he was preaching at this revival meeting, and there's this group of, of businessmen in North Carolina, and they got fired up for the gospel. And they said, man, we got we to gotta, we gotta do something about this. So they started at their church these evangelistic crusades. And one of the guys they brought in was a guy named Mordecai Ham, and he began preaching at one of these meetings. And in that one of those weekend services, there was a teenager named Billy Graham who heard the message of the gospel for the first time. And he gave his life to Christ. And he said, I'm going to give my life to preaching this message amongst the nations so that people could come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And the nations have been changed for good because of that obedience. This goes back to one man. One man, Edward Kimball, shoe salesman. Nothing remarkable maybe about his life, but he was just so captivated by the fact that a Savior would die for him and that he would commission him into his service. And so he went, and it keeps on giving the gift of salvation and discipleship to this day and beyond. Jesus is crystal clear to us as a church and as us, his followers, what his calling for us is. It's to make disciples of the nations. And we have people who are doing that so well. We have people who are doing, our youth director, Josiah, making disciples of nations, youth teachers, house church shepherds, people are doing that, and people whose names I can't say, willing to just go out because they see a Savior who died not only for them, but for the nations. The commission has been given to you and it's been given to me, and the ball is in our hands. The bat is in our hands. The pitch is coming. Let's go until we make it all the way home. Let's pray together. As we pray, can we ask ourselves as you get a view of the beauty of Jesus are you willing to step up to the plate and to say Jesus I will be your man I will be your woman I don't want to stand at home plate and watch the pitches go by Lord I want to get on base one base at a time going baptizing 
teaching them to obey so they could do the same, making disciples of all nations. Lord, I want to go. I want to be involved. I want to know the joy. Lord, help me. Can we pray for a minute? Committing ourselves. When does it start? It starts right now, right here. It's calling you to go. And as you're going, living the mission of God. Let's pray like that together. And if you are a person in here who's not yet given your life to Christ, we invite you to do so now. Just praying, God, I acknowledge that I've made a mess of my life, that I've done wrong. You died for me after living for me. Come and save me and give me mission and purpose in life. You pray that for just a few moments right now. Let's pray together for a minute quietly or out loud, however you want to pray in your homes. Yeah, let's pray for a minute. Lord, I want to be involved in this great commission work. Let's pray and then I'll pray for us after 45 seconds or so. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that there is no room for questioning what Jesus wanted the church and his people to be about. After he left in the first century and where we are in the 21st century. Father, we pray that you would help us to hear these words that meant so much to Jesus, that meant so much to his disciples, to hear them loudly and clearly now, that we would embrace it, we would embrace your mission, your commission, the mission that is involved, that we get involved in alongside of you to capture this runaway kingdom and to jump on board so that others would be brought into life in your name. We pray that as we go, Lord, that you would fill us with hope, with courage, with strength, with encouragement that we would do this together right here, right now, knowing that there is no limits to what you can do through our obedience to you. Thank you so much. And if there are those in here who have not yet put their trust in you, pray that you would do that. And if they've done that now, Lord, that you would help them to continue to walk with you as we walk with them. Thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.